Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I have my friend Phil Kramer on the line. Phil, I think the last time we talked, uh, you were just about ready to head down to Mexico, and I think I was as well. Um, I've seen some of your pictures and some of your videos on your Instagram. Uh, looks like you guys had another fun year down there. We did, Jay. We did indeed. Um, we, uh, I think the last time we talked, I, I've had some high hopes to kill some really good bucks, and um, we worked hard, and we were able to do it. There were some times there throughout the season I wasn't quite sure how it was going to turn out, but like it normally does, we put in the work and, and put in the time, and it turned out really well. That's awesome. So just starting from the beginning, I know you had really high hopes, and we had talked on the podcast when you had gone down there on some earlier scouting trips. Uh, the vegetation and such was uh, really, really thick and lush, and you were nervous that it was you know, going to be pretty thick and maybe hard to see those deer. Um, when you ended up going back down in January, what was the conditions when you arrived? Um, well, you, you at first uh, let me let me back up a little bit, and I, and I definitely was worried about how much vegetation there was. Um, you know, it's kind of a catch twenty two. You worry about when it's too dry, and then you worry about when it's too lush. And and I guess I'm just never happy. But um, we got down there, and it it had started to dry up a little bit. They had had a couple cold snaps come through, um, and some wind blow through the area that really sucked a bunch of the moisture out of the grass. Um, however, the vegetation was still really thick. Um, grass was up to our chest in certain places, and it made it really difficult uh, for glassing. Um, we have a lot of rolling hills in, in some of the ranches that we like to glass in the afternoons, and when the tank sitting's a little bit slow, get out and try and put our optics to work, and it made it very difficult. You'd just catch glimpses of deer moving through, um, but it, it definitely wasn't a way that we were able to capitalize on this year. Um, we didn't kill any bucks uh, by spot and stock this year. We did kill um, one that was actually uh, feeding through an area and just happened to be able to get on him and shoot him. Um, but that was the only one that we killed that was not on water itself. Uh, it, it's kind of disappointing in that regard because the, the rut was... was kicking pretty good when we were down there on the last trip and uh, the deer were moving really well we just didn't have the the options of actually seeing them um, you just kept glimpses like I say moving through and that was about it so it played a big role in in the way we had to hunt this year with your timing I believe you were going to go down later than normal um, with your timing how, what day did you end up going down and how did you feel like your timing was with the with the rutting activity? We did go down a little later than we normally do. Um, and I think, let me look here, we, we went down on the 22nd, actually crossed the border on the 22nd, and we're down to our ranch and, um, that afternoon. And we stayed all the way through the 31st and traveled home um, on the 1st of February. We were we were a little bit nervous because that was coming into a full moon when we went down there. Um, however, it, it just pushed the activity back a little bit later in the day and um, slowed it down actually at night for the first four or five days we were there. But what we noticed is that moon um, 
the, the new moon started up there as everything was uh, finishing up on the full moon, we noticed the activity actually got really good right before dark in the evenings um, and pretty good earlier in the morning. So it's like they, they went through the full moon period where it just pushed everything back a little later in the day and slowed everything down at night, and then it really picked up after that full moon was done um, to the point where we, we had a lot of deer coming in right before dark at tanks where normally that's just not the case. So it was interesting to see that regards. Um, as far as rut activity, we we saw some really, really, really good rut activity um, when we were down there. The first two days that we were there were phenomenal. Um, bucks moving, uh, does being chased, uh, just full-on rut, and then it kind of slowed down around the 23rd, 24th, and then I want to say around the 25th, 26th, it picked up, and it just got to cranking. Um, we were having bucks breaking tines, um, just losing all kinds of inches due to fighting. Um, very vocal. Uh, a number of the bucks that we killed, we actually heard them grunting before we saw them, um, which was, was kind of neat for, for me. I've, I've heard a few of them do it in the past, but this was just full-on vocalization that I hadn't heard from Coos Deer before. So I think our timing worked out really well. So with, uh, you know, I heard quite a bit of grunting myself this year um, from bucks and a couple where I didn't even see them, but I heard them and just started glassing, looking for them and found them. Um, you know, hearing as much as you did, do you feel like you could actually implement a strategy of doing some grunting that might attract a buck or doe bleats that, you know, might attract a buck in future years? Or um, I'm just curious your thoughts on that. I, I thought about that quite a bit. One thing I did notice when the bucks were really vocal, it was when they were around other deer. Um, and, and I don't know if that was just coincidence or or what the circumstances were, but every time we had bucks grunting, we would see other deer coming in from another direction or getting very close to the proximity of the buck that started to grunt. So I think if there were other deer in the area and the, the buck or, you know, the buck that you were after trying to grunt in was aware of other deer in the area, I think it worked really good. If, if you were just trying to pick up, say, a solo buck cruising, I don't know how effective it would be. And unless you're in an area where you have that option to, to be able to see them before they're going to see you, I would be a little hesitant to say how successful it would be. I, I do believe in the right situation, rattling, grunting, uh, you know, a fawn or doe bleat would probably work really well. I just don't know if how effective it would be unless you, one, either just happen to be in the right situation by coincidence or if, if you really worked at it to put yourself in the right situation. So I, I do sure. believe it would be effective. Um, I just don't know how effective it would be on a consistent basis, if that makes sense. As much sitting as you guys do, um, what do you think about rattling antlers? I think that would definitely draw the attention and, and get some bucks coming by to see what's going on. Um, I played with it a little bit this year, um, and I definitely had some deer pop up on the edges, of, not necessarily come on into the tank, but pop up on the edges 
where I could just barely see their ears or see their antlers out there um, checking it out. And I think it would work uh, pretty good, especially when you're hitting that peak of the rut like that. So, I mean, we've talked before on the podcast where, you know, you're hunting down in the desert where it's relatively flat with, you know, some cone knobs and a few hills here and there. Um, and primarily what Dar and I hunt are the mountain ranches, which is higher in elevation, um, you know, more of that mesquite, um, you know, oak, uh, yellow grass, a little bit different terrain. Um, and now you've been down in the desert uh, several years. Um, talk a little bit about things that you've learned in hunting the desert as, as opposed to mountain ranches and some of the differences. I know we've discussed them before, but just anything new that's kind of hit you or, or now that you've, you know, been in the desert now for a handful of years, what's your thoughts? Well, that, that's kind of a, a, a lot of a lot of information there for me to answer, and I'll, I'll do the best I can because every time I think I'm really getting it figured out, I, I just get humbled and, and realize I don't know anything of what I'm talking about, <laughs> and they just put me <laughs> right back in my place because... You know, last year, as we've talked, it was really dry, and it, it congregated the deer, and, and we had deer, um, you know, that, that were pretty good, but we wanted more water to hunt newer areas of ranches that we couldn't hunt before because there was no water and, and everything. And what I learned this year is by having a really wet year, which we did, and, and filled up tanks that we've never had water in, it spread the deer out, which we anticipated, but what it did more than anything is once when that rut happened, we could not keep tabs of the bucks that we were trying to target. Um, we did kill a number of our target bucks, but other bucks would show up one place one time. And, I mean, we would get one time of, of picture series of them. They'd show up at another tank one time, and then they'd disappear. And I believe, thanking at it and, and looking at the pictures and and trying to figure out what exactly happened i think they were out the deer the does and everything else were so spread out they didn't they weren't had didn't have the luxury to stay in one small area and do all of the rutting and breeding that they needed to do in one area so they spread out because the does were spread out so it made it really difficult for us to keep tabs on the bucks for one and then kill the bucks too um i was after a big a big buck and we had pictures of him on two different tanks um right before the rut really got going and we never found him again i never had another picture of him and i honestly believe looking at google earth and some of the nearby ranches i i think he probably just hopped onto another ranch and did his thing out there rutting and and finding those that normally he wouldn't have to go look for um so it it, uh, it definitely is a learning process that I, I seem to constantly be adding mental notes to and, and trying different tactics to get them figured out. But the desert ranches, I still believe the way we're hunting them with trail cameras and setting waters probably are our most successful tactic that we have in our arsenal. Um, we, we started out the season... Um, with very high hopes, and, and I think the last time you and I talked, I I even threw out a score that we would probably kill one in the 120s, and, and we did do that. Um, 
if we were not sitting water and did not have the trail cameras that we do, I don't believe we would have been anywhere as close to successful as we were. So the desert ranches can be very rewarding. It also is very frustrating at times because you're so heavily reliant upon sitting water, um, especially on a year like this where there's so much vegetation that it just does not offer the glassing opportunities that it would on sometimes other years where where the grass isn't as tall and the leaves and everything's not as as full on the brush. So um, that can play in a guy's head pretty hard, and I think I even uh, maybe sent a text to you saying maybe the mountains are calling me again because, <laughs> man, it was getting to me. Um, it, it was yeah. rough. But, uh, so there's there's definitely differences, and we've talked about it before. You see a lot more deer on the mountain ranches. Um, you let your optics do your work, and you have the ability to move quite a bit more. Where on the desert ranches, you're you're definitely more reliant on smaller areas that you can glass and sitting water. Um, you know the payoff is probably pretty close to the same when you when you look at all factors included, but. Uh, the genetics, genetics are down there, and and that's why we're we're down there, and uh, you know it's good people and good ranches and good deer, and it's just a different mindset to be able to do it year in and year out. So um, I sure. think I've I've retracted a little bit, and the mountains aren't quite calling yet. I'll I'll get my stick <laughs> in Arizona for that, and I'll stick with the desert in Mexico. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Did you notice anything this year with um, predators? I know last year you guys had a jaguar. Um, did you notice any more or less, you know, coyotes, bobcats, lions, et cetera, um, or was it just an average year? It, it It's on a, a big upswing on predator numbers, and I think um, we, we discuss this amongst ourselves as well as with the ranch owners and some of the other um, outfitters and stuff in the area but the coyotes and the lions and we even got another picture of a jaguar this year um they just seem to be more in numbers but also more uh you could almost describe it as bold i mean they're they're in the middle of the day they're out hunting um you know i've got some pictures of a coyote taking on a a full-grown 95 inch mature buck um you know it's kind of one of those things that you think all oh, the coyotes are really hammering the fawns well they're taking on the, the adult deer now too and and the lions just were were unbelievable it's always common for us to get a lot of lions um that's that's nothing new what was new this year is we're getting a lot of lions in the middle of the day um I was sitting uh one tank and I had a lion, a, a big tom come in at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, didn't come in to drink. He was actually hunting and came by the tank and then I had another lion come in the exact same day at noon and did not come in to drink. It was actually hunting the same way that the Tom was earlier that day and you know, those those type of things that are continually happening um across the majority of our ranches tells me that the the predator population right now is is on a a peak and i think i think that's hurting our deer and and kind of everything else and i i believe if we can ride it out even if there wasn't any human intervention i think they would start to decline just in the natural cycle but i think what we're seeing in that area um 
down there is that the predators all around are just flat out they've exploded and and the population's good and they're spread out everywhere um, I talked to a number of other people who hunted kind of the same general area and they saw a lot of the same thing um, just just absolutely incredible the amount of predators which as you can imagine then in turn increase the amount of deadheads we were finding and, and stuff like that so it's uh, kind of disheartening in that fact um, you, you know you let a buck go you pass him up thinking okay next year he's really going to come into his own he's going to get that age class and you're rolling the dice that if he's, he's going to make it you know he's kind of running the gauntlet of the predators down there not necessarily the hunters so I know um, last year you had a buck that, you know, you had a bunch of trail camera pictures of, and um, you even said it kind of fooled you when you shot it. Um, did you have any deer this year that, you know, that, that were foolers, you know, up or down as far as you thought they were bigger or smaller and they fooled you, or um, were you able to learn anything to be able to tighten that gap? Um, on your field judging, or was the buck last year just just an anomaly? And and you know, I'm cur always curious. You know, I know you kick that stuff around a lot and try and be as accurate as you can. I'm just curious if you learned anything. One thing that we we had one buck fool us a little bit this year. Um, nothing as drastic as what happened to us last year, um, but we did have one buck. Uh, uh, straight typical three by three we got the pictures of him and uh, I instantly I just I came up with the numbers did some quick math and I was like that's a 118 inch deer 118 inch typical um, it fell in love with the buck and uh, Tim was able to kill the buck and he I think he went 113 and change so you know five inches off um, and where it fooled me more than anywhere was I, I did not account for the lack of mass um, you know I, I had pretty much all the time length and the beams and even the width really good but the mass just hammered me and um, I, I think it kind of brought back to the importance of, of having mass and you know you'll have mass that hides length but it doesn't work the other way and if he looks spindly right. he's going to be spindly and you really need to take that into consideration when you're when you're trying to make sure that you're as close to that number as you possibly can so you don't have any disappointment when you walk up on him um, yeah I mean I think a lot of times when a buck looks spindly through binoculars and or on a trail camera you know you've got to figure he's probably in that you know 12 range 12 to 13 range per side um, whereas when you get some of these heavy bucks you know I think they can um, you know be up in that 16 inches per side and you know getting up there in 32 inches total in, in mass for the total um, whereas you know you can get you know 24 to 25 total on a skinny buck and you know that's that's, you know, eight inches right there that, you know, if you just plug in your number, it, it can be tough. Um, but I, I, I definitely think, uh, you know, skinny bucks, if it looks skinny, whether you're looking through binos or on trail camera, you, you really have to watch that because it, you know, time length, frame size, everything can tell you a buck's 105. And then all of a sudden you get you get him on the ground and he's skinny and it's like oh wow he's only a 98 inch buck his tines and everything match a 105 but his mass he loses everything right there. 
it, without a doubt and and you nailed it right there for sure and i think i was so concentrating or so infatuated with his length and his frame that i didn't even consider mass and and that's such a big part after we we got that buck and we scored him we went back and looked at all of our bucks that we've killed you know over the past uh however many years everything that's that's gone from that great buck into the exceptional range when you get into the 120s all of them had above average mass i mean uh it was a trait that really stuck out to me and i was like wow that's that's something i really got to keep in the back of my mind when i'm looking at these bucks and i'm I'm trying to put a score to them and that you know it, it takes a little bit of everything to make an exceptional buck but when you have that above average mass it just adds everything so much more to it and it, it really makes it um jump up there into that next category so um, yeah and I've, I've also found like bucks like what you're talking about that you know tim's buck um you know 112 113 and if he's a little skinny even another year potentially and not that you would let that deer walk but if you did sometimes they can kind of blow you away the next year where they really put on the mass and then you sometimes think, well, maybe the points aren't as, as long, and usually they're going to be as long or longer. And he's poured on, you know, when they get to that, you know, mature age, a lot of times they can, you know, fool you and pour on more mass in one year than you really think, too. Um, and then I think there's some deer that genetically they're just they're just going to be thin no matter what all the way through their lifespan. So it's interesting to see all the different bucks. Um, so you had a couple big bucks uh, slip away on you and, and probably move off chasing does somewhere else. Um, you know, did you have any big deer that showed up that you had never seen? We did. Um, the buck that Tim killed, we had we had never seen, and he actually showed up um, right before we got there, uh, a couple times in the daylight, and then a couple times at night. And I think Tim killed him on the third day that we were there but the interesting thing about that is for almost two square miles around where tim killed that buck every known water source that we we know about we have cameras on so then it lends yourself to the thinking of okay did that buck really travel from that far away and just show up right here or is there that many holes in our camera system <laughs> that yeah. he's been living with? He literally that, ran the gauntlet. Yeah. Yeah, um, ran the gauntlet and just got his picture taken at the one place. Right, exactly. Um, so that buck had just showed up. Never saw him before. Um, I just posted a buck, I think, yesterday or day before on my Instagram of a buck that I passed. And we had never seen him um you know he just showed up and showed up two or three days and then gone never saw him again um so it works both ways you know we had bucks that we were really targeting that disappeared on us and then we had bucks that we had never seen before show up on us so um i I think that's the benefit of, of actually being down there in the peak of the rut i think you have that movement and you also have that kind of excitement of never knowing what's going to show up um i i passed a a a medium medium sized buck i mean a very nice buck probably in that 100 to 105 inch range passed him three times and i never once had a picture of him until the first day we got down there and he had been in the day before so 
Um, Interesting. It, it works both ways. That's the only way I, I know to describe it is as much as I would like to have killed some of the target bucks that we had that disappeared on us, I'm very thankful for the bucks that showed up that we had never seen before. So, Yeah. Um, you've, you've talked before about timing when these deer, when these bucks come in, and I remember you saying, you know, you get up early and usually get there in the in the dark, and a lot of a lot of guys say, "Why are you even getting in there?" I think it's before nine o'clock. Um, would you say this year, in the week's time that you were there sitting, um, did you have to change your tactics, or did the other guys? You know, was there a period that you noticed, or was it the same? You know, uh, ten to two type time frame, or, or what was it? This year, actually, the majority of us changed our tactics, um, and, and they kind of got on board with me sitting all day. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or not, but by far and away, still our, our best times were 10 to noon. I think on the third day, we killed three bucks, and I think every one of them was within 30 minutes of that noon period. Um, but the reason why a lot of the guys switched to sitting all day is because I was kind of doing my same thing, getting in at daylight, um, a little before daylight and then staying till dark. And I had deer showing up this year at seven thirty in the morning. And we've really never had that, at least not when we're sitting tanks. So the other, on the opposite end of it, as after that full moon went away, um, we had bucks showing up right at dark. And I think, four or five situations that we had bucks actually coming into water when we were getting ready to get out of the blind at night. So um, we, we changed our tactics a little bit, and I don't know if it was just because they were rutting that hard that that's, they happened to be close and they snuck in for a drink. Um, but, you know, for the majority of it, at that 10 to 2 time frame still held true. That was definitely our, our most activity on all, everything that we had. Bill, I want to take a second here to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, the optics authority. He is the optics manager at GoHunt.com, gear shop. And if you guys have any binoculars, tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, anything to do with optics, if you have any needs at all, give Cody a call at 702-847-8747. That's extension two. You can also email him at optics at gohunt.com. Also want to remind you uh, that uh, gohunt.com Insider is a, is a sponsor of the podcast as well. And it is the best Western hunting resource out there. And if you're right in the middle of application season, which we are, Arizona just finished, uh, Utah is coming up next, then New Mexico, the Nevada guide draws out. Uh, you can go to gohunt.com forward slash Scott, and that's going to get you a $50 gift card just for signing up. It is the best Western hunting resource out there for draw odds. Uh, they also have incredible strategy articles. Uh, check them out, uh, gohunt.com forward slash Scott. And I want to thank Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all my hunts. Uh, go to kuyu.com, check them out there. Uh, canyoncoolers.com, based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. Use the J. Scott 19 promo code. 
Uh, you're going to get a 10% discount on all orders there at caningcoolers.com. Uh, Phonescope.com is a digiscoping device I use to take pictures of all my hunts out in the field. You can see them on my Instagram account. That's Use the JScott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. And then onxmaps.com, use the JScott19 promo code to get a 20% discount. Uh, I used Onyx down in Mexico extensively, and um, it worked really, really well. The topo portion did not work, but the uh, aerial portion worked, and I was able to transfer a lot of my waypoints from my Google Earth account uh, onto Onyx, and it was awesome. I want to thank the sponsors for sponsoring this podcast. Phil, um, so another year down in Mexico. Um, obviously, you go down every year, and, and you guys uh, like chasing after those, you know, book-type deer, and it sounds like you guys got a 120-inch deer. T- tell me a little bit about that deer. You bet, Jay. Um, the the buck that, that ended up going 123 um, and change, it was a, a very unique deer. Um, we didn't have him on camera until we got back down there. Um, and that first afternoon, we, we made a mad dash checking the cameras. And I had purposely avoided one, one tank because one of our guys was going to hunt down there in the morning, and I knew he would go pull the cameras and check it out. And, um when he got back that that next night and we were going through the pictures, he had found that buck and we kind of all had different opinions on on age and what he was and everything. We knew he was a big deer. We knew he, he had a lot of antler up there. Um, what's unique about him is I think he had 13 inches of tines before he ever got to his G1s. Um, just Wow just phenomenal bases that had scoreable points coming off everywhere and that's what really pushed him over that that edge to get into the 123 um, but big tall rack uh, you know high high tines high rack that goes up and out uh, just a beautiful deer and um, he, he turned out being the biggest one that we put on the ground this year and uh, phenomenal uh, Zach Larson uh, killed him and I couldn't be you know happier for him it was it was definitely a really neat feeling rolling into camp, and that buck was hanging. Um, we got a lot of different pictures of him and uh, different angles, and we, we knew he was definitely uh, one of the top-tier bucks that we were after. And uh, just putting him on the ground was, was a, a great treat that we got to experience. So, um, was it one of those deer that, you know, big, mature body, you know, old deer? Or, or do you think, he, you know, how was he? Was he... A relatively young deer or what's your thoughts no he he looked to be an older deer um he had a big body on him uh we knew he was definitely mature and and one that we wanted to try and take not just for his antlers but uh you know we knew he was in that older class and looking at his, his teeth they were very very worn um actually his, his molars in the back were were worn down very 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 much so i think we did the right thing i think he was definitely you know in his prime um or possibly even just a hair over it uh coming back down you know he had great mass and and like i said all the times around the bases um so he 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 definitely was not a young deer by any means which fortunately this year i don't feel we we took any young deer um which is always a good feeling um 
pretty much all the deer that we took had had worn teeth and big bodies and um the majority of them you know were putting on good mass and and you know all had all the characteristics of an older age class deer that a guy would like to try and take and um this was one of those years that we had those and didn't have any oopses on the on the misjudging hmm. so it was a good feeling for yeah. sure you know you talk about um some of these big deer that were on you early and then you know you lost them and and they move on and one would think well just go down and hunt them earlier in the year um it's not that easy correct me if i'm wrong down there in the flats in the desert they're just so nocturnal trying to actually hunt those deer during the day would be virtually impossible talk a little bit about that that that's for sure um and it's something that i've thought about uh you know as you're trying to find a buck that's disappeared and you're wondering okay well is he out rutting in a different area do i need to move all of these thoughts running through your head and, and one of them comes to mind it's like well maybe i should have been here you know the beginning of december instead of the end of december or maybe i should have been here um you know two weeks earlier and and what we found and cameras have proved it as well as us being down there from november on a trip in november to a trip in december to a chip trip in january is the bigger bucks just very rarely show up in the daylight um until that rut gets going and whether they're a homebody in other words they're coming into the same tank fairly religiously or on some type of pattern it's in the middle of the night the majority of the time and you are really really counting on trying to get down there when that buck's rutting so that way his you know he works his body up and he's out running around all day and fighting and chasing does and trying to keep other bucks away and he has to come in to drink more frequently and therefore more times in the daylight and that that's been a huge thing for us um to try and and play the timing just right where we have you try and capitalize on your opportunity and by doing the dates that we do we we do it strictly for that is for the activity so we have a chance of killing these deer it's great to get pictures don't get me wrong but getting pictures in the middle of the night don't do anything for you to actually try and kill the deer and we've proved that time and time again um a buck that we named number two um that three three years ago he was number two on my hit list um we had had him we know he's an old deer i think this year we figured him to be around 10 um we've never had a daylight picture of him until this year and it happened to be right in the peak of the rut we got two um different daylight pictures of him and we never got another daylight picture of of him again we we hunted him and we hunted him hard because we knew he's such an old deer um he just had a tremendous amount of mass he he lost some tine length and a little bit of beam length but th- that buck just does not walk during the daylight and we we lucked out this year caught him a couple times but it wasn't enough for us to get him killed so um i i can't be more adamant about that on on those big desert ranches that that are flatter and and thicker where you don't have the opportunity to try and glass them coming or going or up feeding you you have to try and play it in a rut and kill them during the daylight coming to water yeah for sure um so looking forward uh to next year um obviously there's deer out there um that that you know will come and go 
would you say your level are you optimistic where where are you at in your thought pattern uh, there's it's kind of hard for me to answer mainly because I, I've got a an unfinished task of killing a giant buck that I was after this year. Um, so <laughs> I, I want to stay as optimistic as I can and get back down there and, and put that buck on the ground next year. However, we we had some great bucks, um, you know, that are that are younger up and comers that all they need is a year, and you know they just have to make it through, uh, not get eaten by a lion or coyote or jaguar. And uh, they they could be a great deer next year. We also had, like I was saying, a number of bucks on camera that just absolutely disappeared. And I think they they went the other direction, um, rutting instead of coming, you know, uh, to an opportunity that we or to an area we had an opportunity to kill them on. So, you know, next year the water situation might change, and those bucks be right back in where we have that opportunity. So I, I'm optimistic. Um, we filled five out of the eight tags this year, and that's starting to become a little bit of a trend that each year we might fill one less um, than we did the year previous. And I don't know if it's overall deer numbers or if it has more to do with the the rain or lack of rain or the predators. And we, we think we're probably going to try and, and maybe reduce our tags by one or two and see if we can't get back into the swing of things of filling all our tags. Um, I'm not saying that the guys that didn't kill, me included, didn't have opportunities at great deer. It's just we were holding out for that next class of buck. So um, sure. I'm, I'm very much optimistic. I had a blast, uh, you know, as I always do. We had guys take their biggest deer with us this year. We had guys take their first coos deer with us, um, some with a bow, some with a rifle. So... Each year we, we try a couple different things to try and make our hunt more successful or increase, you know, the enjoyment of the time that we have down there. Um, I think we talked on an earlier podcast that we tried cameras um, as early as October this year, and we decided with the lack of results we're not going to do that again. So we learned that, you know, we need to make our, our efforts later in the year. So. It's a learning process, and it's definitely one that I think if you ever quit learning, it's time to give it up because they're always going to continue to teach you things that you think you have figured out and you really don't. So I'm, I'm optimistic for next year. I'm, I'll go out on a limb and say we'll we'll kill one or, or possibly two that get into that 120 range again next year. So That's awesome, buddy. Well, it's always great having you on the podcast. It's uh, also great to know that we're in a wet we've got you know moisture coming and and we've already had good moisture winter moisture i know you're um always uh excited about the arizona elk season i think it could be a great year um and this application time frame i know is always an exciting time for us western hunters uh, i want to thank you for coming on the podcast and um uh, it's always great seeing your success down there and and in arizona as well I uh, want to give you a chance to let the listeners know if they want to reach out to you where they can find you. For sure, Jay. Uh, I, I I think this moisture that we're getting, and they're actually calling for some more to come in as early as tomorrow, um, is going to play pay huge dividends on the antler growth. And I think last year being a down year, um, some big bulls and, and bucks might not have gotten killed that they normally would have. So I think we're going to add another year to their age class. And... Uh, 
I, I wish I had more points going into the draw. I honestly do because I think it's going to be a, a phenomenal year for antler growth and big bucks and big bulls being killed. But that all being said, you know, my applications are in, and now it's up to see what happens. And with a little luck, if I don't, maybe my friends or family will draw some of those tags and at least give me an opportunity to get out there and chase them. But if anyone ever ever wants to get a hold of me, they're more than welcome to uh, hit me up on Instagram at, at Kramer Hunts. Um, you know, I, I take a lot of pleasure um, in helping people in any way I can, um, whether it be with Mexico and the ins and outs of that or coos deer hunting in general. I, I by no means am any expert, but I definitely enjoy it, and I enjoy learning from other people and, and helping other people as well. If they if they don't want to use Instagram, they're more than welcome to give me a call or shoot me a text, uh, 623-308-2228. And I think I started off uh, earlier today telling you, you know, anytime I get to talk hunting, especially coos deer, I'm all for it. So feel free to give me a call or shoot me a message on Instagram. Right on, buddy. Sounds good, and congratulations, your daughter going to go play uh, college uh, athletics uh, and that's always uh, that's always a treat and to stay local and uh, I'm sure I'm sure you and your wife are happy about that to um, be able to probably go to a bunch of those games so um, good job on that and I know you're proud of that so that's pretty sweet. Oh, thank you Jay I definitely am proud of it um, she had some opportunities athletic or uh, academically to go to Colorado and she absolutely loves that I was pretty nervous for it because it's a little ways away from home and uh, a little little hard for me to swallow, and she actually got a great offer from Arizona Christian University here local to play ball, and I'm definitely happy about that. Uh, get a watcher and have her a little closer, so maybe it'll be a little easier to sneak out on a hunt or two with her. So uh, thank you for cool. that, and definitely good time. All right, buddy. All right, we'll take care. God bless. Okay, thank you, Jake. God bless.